humans have come up with many different names for the God made flesh. Names of beauty and purpose and reverence. Names given by the prophets and disciples. Names that try to describe the indescribable miracle of Jesus. But Jesus called himself by a different name. A name that points both to an ancient prophecy and future glory. A name of humility and deep intention. Join us as we explore the deep significance of the name Jesus chose to call himself, Son of Man. All right, church, we are ready to kick off our Easter series, and I will tell you, I'm pretty excited. Like Benjamin said, it's going to be epic. I don't know if that bumper interested you, but I know when I showed it to Brenna the other day, she was like, what? Jesus called himself the Son of Man? That's so interesting. And yes, it is interesting, and we are going to learn just how interesting it is. In fact, I like to think of this series as an ancient puzzle. Doesn't that sound exciting, an ancient puzzle? Now, when I think of ancient puzzles, the first thing I think of is Indiana Jones. It's true. That's what I think of. I grew up watching Indiana Jones. Now, first I have to say, children, I'm not endorsing watching Indiana Jones, okay? It's not necessarily appropriate for children. And I, frankly, grew up pretty sheltered in what I was allowed to watch on the television. I didn't watch a lot of things that most children my age were allowed to watch. However, my grandma had a small drawer of VHS movies, and whenever my brother and I would go over there, we had a small selection of things to watch, which included Indiana Jones, not the Temple of Doom. We were not scarred by life for that one, but, all, but the other two we watched so many times. And I will say, my parents did a great job, you know, limiting our, our media for mo most everything, but we did get we did get a little bit of the PG movies with that. And the other the other thing I do have to mention. Sorry, mom and dad, I know you're watching this, but the other thing I will mention. I was thinking this morning, like, yeah, we were so sheltered, we didn't get to watch so many things. But one time, we traveled to California. I'm not excited about this. I don't know why I'm saying it in an excited voice. We traveled to California, and we were learning history, the history of how people got to California, and my mom thought it would be a great idea to buy us some historical videos about that, and so she bought us a video about the Donner Party, which if you don't know that story, children, it's traumatizing, okay? And then she left us this video. She, they went to Hawaii. We stayed with my grandparents for the week, or my grandma for the week, and she was like, watch this video and you're gonna learn all about the history of California. Well, we learned all right, and that was very distressing, and I still have nightmares, okay? But other than that, we were very sheltered. All right, back to Indiana Jones. Sorry, I just thought I'd share that. All right, Indiana Jones was like the hero, the adventurer, there was so much ancient mysteries and puzzles that Indiana Jones got to find in the world, right? And I was fine with the face-melting thing. Like, that didn't creep me out. The thing that creeped me out more than anything was the rats in The Last Crusade, I'll just say. I'm not sure why, but that got me, okay? So I loved the adventure and the thrills of the Indiana Jones stories, but I think what intrigued me more than anything were the spiritual mysteries, that were wrapped up with these adventure movies, right? And the reverence with which Indy and his dad approached the Holy Grail, 
and the reverence with which Indiana approached the Ark of the Covenant was very compelling to me, right? Because these weren't just about made-up treasures. These were real treasures. These were not only historical treasures, but spiritual treasures, right? And they were pieces that had been part of the greatest story of all time. And so I know Indiana Jones was mostly seeking these things for the glory and the adventure and all of that, and because he believed that they belonged in a museum. Uh, he, he couldn't help but feel the holy reverence, right? And if you've seen those movies, you know what I mean, because he was touching these items that had once been touched by God himself, right? And he couldn't help but feel the holy wonder of what stories and what mysteries these items held that might never be known, this side of heaven, right? So I do not have a bullwhip today or an ancient artifact to show you, and I don't expect any explosions or fistfights to break out amongst us today, so keep it together over there, Jordan. But I do have a sense of reverence about what we're going to talk about, about this ancient mystery, this ancient puzzle of Jesus. And I have anticipation and excitement, and I hope that you will too as we start to uncover what God wants to teach us in this series leading up to Easter. So the buffer did a good job of introducing the puzzle, but let's think about it again, right? When we think of Jesus, we usually think of him as Christ or the Messiah or the Son of God or all those other beautiful things that the bumper called him, the Prince of Peace, the Lamb of God, the Lion of Judah, right? Those are the names we think of when we think of Jesus. And we sing all kinds of songs about all the names, and there's a lot, right? But Jesus chose over and over and over again to call himself the Son of Man. The Son of Man. Another way to translate that would be the human one. The human one. Jesus called himself the human one. So the ancient puzzle is why? Why did Jesus call himself by this name? So we're going to look at several stories about this over the next few weeks where Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. And I think we're going to discover some pretty beautiful things about Jesus. And I think we're going to discover some pretty beautiful things about ourselves. Okay? So let's dig in. First of all, how often do you think that Jesus called himself the Son of Man? Just in the four Gospels, does anybody have a guess how many times Jesus called himself Son of Man? Throw me out a number. Yes, you know the answer. <laughs> What's your guess? You, 44, higher than that. Yes, sir. 200, not that high. Yes. Okay, you guys are close. It's 68 times. 68 times in the four short books of the Gospels, Jesus called himself the Son of Man. There's one that's, some will say 69. There's one that's debated. Anyway, so we're going to look at a few of those times. We're not going to look at all 68, so don't get too excited, but we're going to look at a few. We're going to start in Luke 19, verse 10. Jesus says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. We've heard that one before, right? Or John 8, 28. It says, so Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man on the cross, then you will understand that I am he. I do nothing on my own, but say only what the Father taught me. And then this one, which is our memory verse for this series. So kids, you guys have this on your sheets. Let's all read this one aloud together. Matthew 25, 31. When he finally arrives, blazing in beauty and all his angels with him, 
the Son of Man will take his place on his glorious throne. Good job. All right, kids, you guys got to learn that by Easter. I want to hear it. So it's interesting, right? All these times when Jesus called himself the Son of Man. But what does it mean? Why did he say it? Well, let's look at this phrase for just a second, all right? There's two different um, phrases that Jesus uses to call himself the Son of Man. And the first one is Ben Adam, which means son of Adam, right? So son of Adam, we all know who the first human was, was Adam, so that makes sense. The other one is Bar Enosh, which most literally translated means the human one or like a human, okay? So he used these words, Ben Adam and Bar Enosh, to refer to himself as the son of man, as the human one. Now, specifically in the Hebrew Torah, there is used the term Bar Enosh to refer to a specific vision in the book of Daniel about a human that would one day have dominion over the whole earth and all the beasts in the earth and all the darkness in the earth, okay? But as to that prophecy, you're going to have to wait until Pastor Benjamin's message next week because that's a whole other part of the ancient puzzle that you're going to hear more about later, all right? But let's think about this phrase, the human one, the human one. Why is it important? Why is it listed 68 times that Jesus called himself the human one? Well, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. We don't completely know the whole answer to that question. We don't. It's actually been a highly debated topic in the church ever since Jesus left the earth. It's been a debated topic about why Jesus called himself the human one. All right, It's an ancient mystery. And the church has debated how much God was in the man, Jesus and how much man was in the God, Jesus, right? They've debated this. And did Jesus call himself the son of man just to be humble? Was it like some secret code so that he didn't go around bragging too much that he was a God? Or was it just to be subversive because Jesus was always subversive, so he was just saying that to be that way, right? Or was it pointing to an ancient prophecy? Well, I think the answer is yes. Yes to all of those things. It was to be humble. It was to be subversive. It was a bit of a secret code, and it was pointing to an ancient prophecy. So let's start at the beginning, the human one. The first thing we need to note is this. Jesus called himself the human one because he was indeed human. Jesus called himself the human one because he was indeed human. Now, the question of how human Jesus actually was is actually really important. It is. And the scriptures point to a truth that hugely influences the way that we can understand who Jesus is and what he came to this earth to do. The scriptures point to the truth that Jesus was fully God and fully human. Not part and part, not half and half, but whole and whole, okay? Now, of course, we do believe that he was fully God. He was fully God. He wasn't just a part of God. He wasn't just a piece of God. He wasn't just blessed by God. He was God. Jesus was God, okay? The creator of the universe created a way to become a part of his creation. That's pretty amazing. That's pretty beautiful, right? And we're not going to lose sight of that reality in this series, but... What we're going to do in this series is take some time to ponder 
the other part of Jesus, which was his humanity. His humanity, okay? And you know, it's not just because Jesus said he was a human that we know that he was a human, right? There's lots of other evidence in the scriptures that point to this fact. And we're going to think about it today. Even though these are things that we know, I think we all know Jesus was a human. I think we all know, like, he acted and looked like a human. But let's think about the reality of what that means today for a few minutes, okay? So we're going to think of some of the ways we know he was a human. First of all, Jesus became tired, just like we do as humans, right? When he met the woman at the well in John 4, it's, the Bible says he was weary. He was weary. He was tired, like a human. Jesus felt physical hunger, like we do, right? In Matthew 4, he fasts for 40 days in the wilderness, and we read that he was very hungry. He was feeling human hunger in those moments, right? And Jesus got thirsty, just like we do. When he was suffering on the cross, he asked for a drink. He was thirsty. He said, I thirst, just like a human. Jesus grew weak. He grew weak physically, just like a human. When he was carrying his cross up to the hill, he couldn't lift it anymore. His body was so weary from being beaten that he couldn't lift it. He wasn't like a superhero. He was like a human, and he was weak physically, okay? And Jesus was tempted, just like we are. Luke 4 tells about him going to the wilderness and to be tempted by Satan, and Jesus felt all the same presence and pressures of temptations that we feel. You felt it just like we do, right? Jesus had a human birth, just like we do. He didn't just show up one day all fully grown and looking like a superhero. Nope. He was born as a human baby, right? And Jesus died, just like we do. Jesus died in, the, in like a man, in the sense that his body ceased to function, just like a human. And Jesus felt anger, just like we do. His righteous indignation drove those money changers out of the temple that day. We see Jesus get angry several times in the scriptures, right? When he sees people taking advantage of others. He feels angry, just like we do. And Jesus felt sadness, just like we do. When he stood outside the tomb of Lazarus, it says that he wept. He wept with empathy for all the people who were mourning that loss of his dear friend, right? So Jesus was a human. Okay. He experienced a human life. So, why does it matter? Why does it matter so much that he's human? Why are we taking the time to think about it today? The humanity of Jesus is vitally important because of what he came to do. The humanity of Jesus is vitally important because of what he came to do. So, if he had not been fully human... His empathy for human pain and suffering could not be completely real, right? And if he had not been completely human, his sacrifice could not have paid the price for human sin. And if he had not been fully human, the archetype for the coming wholeness of humanity would not have been fully legitimate. He wouldn't have shown us what we are meant to become if he wasn't fully human one of us. But that is what he came to do, right? Everything Jesus came to do, to become like us, to sacrifice for us, and to pave the path 
to wholeness for us, it's wrapped up in the reality of him being a human being, okay? Without it, none of those things could be valid. They couldn't be valid. So Jesus was a human. Now we're going to look at one of the stories today where Jesus calls himself the human one, the son of man, okay? We're going to look at the story of the blind man in John 9. Now, I know you guys have heard this story before, but let's think of it in this context. Let's think about it in the context of Jesus being a human, okay? So there's a man who is blind, and he has been blind for his, from birth. For his whole life, he's been blind. And the disciples and the townspeople and the Pharisees, they all assume he's blind because either his parents sinned or he sinned. Because that's the way that they understood the punishment of God in those days was that if you sin or your parents sin, then you were cursed. And so this man was clearly a sinner, or his family was, because he has been born blind. And Jesus says, no, he's not blind because of sin. He's blind so that God's work can be displayed in him. That's what Jesus says. So Jesus goes up to this guy, and he spits in the dirt, and he makes mud. And he puts the mud on the guy's eyes. And then he tells him to go wash his eyes. And when the man does, the man can see, right? We know this story. The man can see. And he goes and he tells everyone what Jesus did for him. And you know what? They have a really hard time believing him. They question him over and over about what happened. They don't understand how this Jesus guy spit in the mud and somehow now this guy can see. And the Pharisees question him about it because the Pharisees are starting to get pretty angry at Jesus by this time in his ministry. They're starting to hear rumors that people are calling him the Messiah, and it's making the Pharisees very angry, right? And so they argue about whether or not Jesus could possibly be like a prophet of God or someone from God, and they argue about how he could dare to work on the Sabbath because apparently this also happened on the Sabbath. And they argue about how he could have this power, and they would have none of it. They would have none of this guy's actual testimony about what happened. So the Pharisees call the man before him, before them, for a second time to question him again, okay? And they tell him, you should give the glory to God about this and not to this man Jesus, because this man Jesus must be a sinner. And then here's what happens. Let's look in John 9, verse 25. The man says, I don't know whether he is a sinner. The man replied, but I know this. I was blind, and now I can see. But what did he do, they asked. How did he heal you? Look, the man exclaimed, I told you once. Don't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they cursed him and said, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. Why, that's very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from? We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he's ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he could not have done it. You were born a total sinner, they answered. Are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. When Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and asked, 
Do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered, Who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. You have seen him, Jesus said, and he is speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshiped Jesus. Now, there's a lot to unpack in this story, but we're going to focus on this part today. Because Jesus healed this guy, this guy had no problem believing that Jesus was from God. He stands up to those Pharisees and is like, nobody's ever done any healing. Clearly, this man is from God. You guys need to learn a thing or two, right? He has no problem believing that Jesus is the Messiah. He reasons with the Pharisees, right? But in, in the man's mind, that's not a question. He's from God. But when Jesus comes back to him and he calls himself the Son of Man, he calls himself the human one, the man is a little bit confused. And he says, who is he, sir? He's wondering, like, is this a trick question? Because I just said you were, like, the Messiah, like you're from God, and now you're saying, do you believe in the Son of Man? And I'm confused because I just told the Pharisees that you weren't a sinner, right? And Jesus says, it's me. It's me. And then the man worships Jesus. He worships the human one, okay? He already knew Jesus was from God, but in this moment, Jesus reminds him he's also human. He's also human. And the healed man worships him as his Lord. This man sees this day, and it's not just with his eyes that he sees. He sees with his heart. He sees with his soul. He saw the God-made flesh that day. He saw Jesus for who he truly was. The miracle of an all-powerful creator in the body of a human. And he worshipped him, the son of man. Fully God and fully human, whole and whole. Now, over the next few weeks, we're going to learn a little bit more about Jesus as the son of man. Okay. So Jesus was the human one, which we're talking about today. We are looking at that humanity, and we're learning that. But there are times in the Gospels when he refers to himself as the Son of Man, and they can be divided into three categories, okay? The first one is about his earthly work. And we're going to put that in the heretic category. Heretic, yep, we're using the word because Jesus absolutely was. And most of his earthly work was highly heretical, which you will hear about next week, okay? Then the second category that he calls, refers himself to the Son of Man as is in his suffering and death and resurrection. And we're going to call that the hero category. Hero. And we're going to hear about that too. And then he was, the last piece is his future coming in heavenly glory. And that is Jesus being whole. That archetype of what all humanity is desired to be by God, whole, Jesus led the way to that. And that's the other way he refers to himself as the human one. So let's look at some references for each of these real quick, and then we're going to get to more of them next week, okay? So Jesus as a heretic. Let's look at Matthew eleven nineteen 19, NIV. It says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking. And they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, 
a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Yep, that's pretty heretical. They're like, who is this guy teaching us these things and being around these people? I don't know about all that, right? Wait till you hear Pastor Benjamin's message next week. Sometimes I think we forget just how delightfully subversive Jesus was, but we're going to remember it. Then let's think about Jesus as the hero. In Mark 8, 31, it says, Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed. And after three days, rise again. Now, in a couple weeks, our very own hero expert is going to be teaching us about this, and I'm very excited to learn and remember the ways that Jesus is the hero of our story. Okay. The whole parts of Jesus' teaching, the parts about him coming again in heavenly glory, that's kind of rounded up in our memory verse. So we're going to look at that one more time, Matthew 25, 31. Jesus says, When he finally arrives, blazing in beauty and all his angels with him, the Son of Man will take his place on his glorious throne. Do you remember that term bar inosh? It means the human one, the human one. And that's the term Jesus most often used, okay? But he used that other one, Ben Adam, once in a while, and that means son of Adam, meaning a human descended from the first human, okay? So with that in mind, and with this wholeness in mind, I want you to listen to this writing from Paul, because I think it's going to give you just a little piece of where we're headed this Easter. It's pretty beautiful. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes, We follow this sequence in Scripture. The first Adam received life. The last Adam, that's Jesus, is a life-giving spirit. Physical life comes first, then spiritual. A firm base shaped from the earth, and a final completion coming out of heaven. The first man was made out of earth, and people since then are earthly. The second man was made out of heaven, and people can now be heavenly. In the same way that we've worked from our earthly origins, let's embrace our heavenly ends. This is the truth of what Jesus came to do. This is why it matters that he was a human because he paves the way for humans to become like him, to become heavenly creatures once again, which is what God always intended from the beginning. That's the coming wholeness that Jesus came to set into motion, our heavenly ends, our physical lives coming into oneness with our spiritual lives. That's beautiful, right? Jesus became the example for how all humanity will one day be made so the band can come up. We're going to listen to this one last quote and take a few minutes, and then we're going to sing, well, we're going to listen to a beautiful song. But I want you to listen to this writing from Karl Barth for just a moment as you ponder the Son of Man. In Jesus Christ, there is no isolation of man from God or of God from man. Rather, in him, we encounter the history the dialogue in which God and man meet together 
and are together. The reality of the covenant mutually contracted, preserved, and fulfilled by them. Jesus Christ is the Lord, humbled for communion with man, and likewise the servant, exalted to communion with God. And these things matter not just so that Jesus could pay the, pay the price for our sin, but so that Jesus could pave the way for our wholeness, for our becoming like him. As we close our message today, I'm going to ask you guys to just take a couple quiet minutes in the silence to contemplate this truth. It's a truth that we all know. Jesus, fully God, fully man. Yep. But let's think about it in the deep places of our souls for a minute and think about the reality of what it means that Jesus was a human just like us.